0: and welcome to episode 18 of the Melbourne AWS User Group Podcast. I am your host, Arjen Svart, and I'm once again joined by your and mine friends, Jean-Manuel Becker.
1: Hello, everyone. Happy to be here again, Arjen. Thank you.
0: And Guy Morton.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Now, if you've listened to us before or looked at the title of the episode, it won't come as a surprise that today's topic is to discuss what was new at AWS in September 2021. Luckily, it's not as boring as the previous months have been. So let's have a look and let's get started with finally in ANZ instead of usual finally in sydney we broaden it a little bit because of excellent news for our neighbors across the Tasman sea
2: yeah it's um very exciting so we just all calmed down about getting a region in melbourne and now we've got a region in new zealand as well so there's a lot to be excited about isn't it i mean new zealand got edge locations about 12 months ago uh, which you know was a nice thing for them and I thought oh that's probably all they'll get <laughs> or maybe they'll get you know what, is, what are the, those regions that are not really regions um, the local local zones I thought oh, maybe they'll get a local zone or something um, but yeah no full-fledged 3AZ extravaganza so that's pretty good for them
0: still a while away though it's not going to be opening until 2024
1: yeah, yeah. patience is a virtue
0: yeah that's a very long announcement period
1: but AWS said as well they invested 5.3 billion dollars so we just know how much a data center costs now (laughs) (laughs) it's really easy um that's the investment they're going to do and they expect a return of seven billion dollars in the next 15 years so it's a long-term investment but um i'm sure the all the financial sector in New Zealand are going to be very happy. Mm. There is some r- regulation there where the New Zealand government wanted to separate the data from Australia and bring back everything back to their own uh, territory. So that's going to be matched probably with all the financial sector over there. Yeah, and maybe we can do DR to them. Right, that would be fun. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah,
2: and um, and I wonder if I wonder if their geographic location sort of played into the decision at all. Like just the fact that they're so sort of geographically as isolated as they are. I wonder whether it's, um, you know, a sort of a, a, a backup site for post Holocaust, um, nuclear <laughs> Holocaust
1: site, you know, but they're under, under, like a fault line as well, right? They have earthquake and all sorts of things over there. So I don't know if this is the best place to put data centers.
0: I don't think we can say anything anymore about earthquakes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. We've had our own. But North,
2: North Island is not as as active as, as South Island, is it? I thought South Island was the one that was the real problem. And I assume it's going... It's, it's Auckland, isn't it? And that's North Island. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. I guess they would take that into account in anything that they're building. But yeah, I bet they're building it on a nice big thick slab. <laughs> With lots of, um, lots of anticipation of, of uh, natural disasters. Yeah.
1: Well, actually, I work for a company uh, where we had a data center in Japan and uh, the uh, racks over there have to be bolted to the floor, mm-hmm. uh, which is not here in Australia. But uh, because of the earthquake in Japan, all the racks uh, and servers need to be bolted down. Safety first. Uh, yes. <laughs> you don't want a, a rack falling on you.
2: Security is job zero. <laughs> security of not having a rack fall on you <laughs> that's the first that's your first job if you're an AWS engineer don't drop any servers on anyone
0: but yeah let's look forward to that in 3 years yeah Yes. In the meantime, let's have a look at things that have come to our little region that already exists. So surprisingly quick, we got ElastiCash for Redis auto-scaling. Mm-hmm. So I think we discussed that in the last episode. Did we? Yep. Cheating. And now it is available in Sydney already.
2: All right. We announced the initial announcement. Yeah, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that is a short time between that sort of announcement and, and it being here. It's only a month. Yeah, so that is good should happen more often
1: Yep. so yeah that functionality enable you to uh, scale up and down your cluster depending of the performance uh you're looking for to do the caching with your redis and uh, it can monitor the memory utilization and it can scale up and down your nodes and uh, yeah Elastic cache for Redis will remove nodes when uh, is not, they are not needed in the cluster anymore. to saving you some money there. Yeah. Nifty. There is an announcement as well concerning the, um, the ability to customize reverse DNS for Elastic IP. So that's for people running SMTP servers on AWS to be able to have a better response and improve email deliverability, uh, to, um, fight spamming and stuff like that. So uh, that allow you to have that reverse DNS in, into that Elastic IP. Yeah, it's very important if you're running a running your own
2: mail server. Not that I would necessarily recommend that most people run a mail server because if you think you should, you probably shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> but if you if you must for whatever reason, you, you almost certainly want reverse DNS and you know why. Um, yeah, so this was announced first in February this year, and now it's available in Sydney. So it's a bit 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 longer to wait for this one, six months or more. But good to see. Yep,
0: yeah. and the last one is a bit of a weird one. It's just a reduced pricing in our region, um, but for text extract, analyze document, and detect document text requests, the pricing here in Sydney is now going to be the same as in US East One which seems fair because it's not exactly uh, any different in the way it works. Yeah. Yeah, it's
2: good to... Uh, they, they might start a precedent, though, of, of, of removing the Australia tax, so we might start getting everything cheaper. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Or at least the same price as US East 1. That, that would be good.
0: Well, I'm sure we might talk about pricing a bit later because of an announcement from a different company with their R2. I assume you both heard about it, Cloudflare?
1: No. Oh, the SD storage on, on Cloudflare, is it? Trying to make it for free? Yeah, for, um, fixed assets.
0: Yeah, basically S3, but without egress data transfer costs. Mm, wow.
1: But I mean, when I look at the, all the improvement who have been done on S3 recently, like, you know, the endpoint, multi-region endpoint, uh, all the encryption and stuff on like that. I mean, it depends what you want to run, obviously, but S3 is such a, you know, more should be your product anyway. It mature, it's
2: got maturity, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. It kind of depends, though, on how much you spend on the egress cost. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I saw Corey Quinn did a nice, simple comparison where, what was it? I think on R two you would pay like ten, fifteen dollars for something, and on S three it would be fifty three thousand.
1: Really? Oh wow! Jeez. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: That's that's um. Yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's a slight difference.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, as to JM's point, I mean, it's it's horses of courses to some extent, but I guess it's that um, you know, if if you've got a particular use case that 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 it delivers all the all the things you need, then yeah, it's obviously going to put pressure on AWS. There may be some customers who are paying a lot right now who may choose to to vote with their wallets and and move on.
0: Yeah, a big part of it is even. Um, I mean, it's not out yet, but apparently it will come with like a proxy capability. So you basically put it in front of your S3, so it will just pull it once from S3. <laughs> right. So for public sharing of assets, which is what this is all about, obviously, mm-hmm. then you only pay once for the egress, and you still have all the security and everything else you want for any internal stuff. Mm.
2: So, but how would that be different from using CloudFront and, and the, all your content ending up in Edge nodes? You'd be in a similar position there, wouldn't you?
0: Last time I checked, you still pay for egress costs for CloudFront. Right. In fact, I think you pay more than you do for S3. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's more expensive. So S3 to CloudFront is free, but then CloudFront out is, is more expensive than S3 itself. Right, yeah. Oh, well, good.
2: It's good. Always good to see competitive pressure. You know, it's a good thing.
0: Anyway, let's have a look at other pricing changes Mm. in serverless.
2: Yeah. So, and everyone got very, very excited about the Graviton announcement. Was that the main main thing that we got excited about from serverless this, this month?
0: I think it's pretty much the only thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, yes, I guess. Um, so now you can run your Lambda function on Graviton 2 processes, um, and AWS claim you can basically reduce by 34% your web price performance uh, on, on Lambda, which is you know. Fantastic. you just a couple of clicks away. You changed from x86 to ARM. I had to go, you still need to have the latest version. I had a Python 3.7, didn't work. You had to upgrade to 3.8 first, and then you can swap to ARM, but it's not a big deal. I had to do it anyway. So yeah, really easy to do. And um yeah, I recommend for any Java fun- <laughs> Lambda function you need to run, Uh please move to Graviton you can run Node.js 12 and 14 Mm. Python 38 39 Java 8 .NET Core Ruby and obviously everything on Amazon Linux as well so pretty cool
2: so I guess it's the legacy all all the legacy lambdas that'll take a little bit of doing so Node 10 there's probably a lot of things out there still running on Node 10 and I think someone said that uh, Lambda at Edge uh, wasn't working either so um, I mean I guess the lambdas on the Edge are are possibly going to take a little bit longer to come through and probably also so they need to continue to maintain support for all the legacy code snippets that are running as Lambda on Edge, which probably tends to be a lot of old crafty stuff,
1: perhaps. I don't know. But Lambda Edge is not part of that option. Mm. You, you need to run x86. Uh, it's only for Lambda running in, uh, yeah, on AWS, not, 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 not at the Edge, pure Lambda, yeah. yeah.
0: And things like Node 10 are not supported because they are end of life already. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there is a nice blog about explaining how you could do a, a soft migration uh, or like a or weighted aliases uh, to migrate from one lambda to the other uh, and then reverse back very quickly so you don't have to you know do all in uh, you can do that quite uh, softly to make sure that your lambda function is working on arm yep. yep, nifty
0: so we've got two other announcements on the server side as we said not a lot going on, other than Graviton one, but then that's a really big one.
2: That's right. I mean, the Event Bridge stuff is probably, you know, they've they've been doing things incrementally, consistently with Event Bridge and improving it, extending it. Um, so this one, uh, this announcement this month, is about being able to discover event schemas for um, events from other accounts, from cross account. Yeah. So that will be quite useful, I think, if you have quite a complex event bridge kind of ecosystem. So that, that will make a make a difference, I think, in some scenarios.
1: Yes, yeah, so you, you can discover now from other accounts, there is no cost for the schema registry, but there is a cost to do the discovery. Uh, but you have a very big free tiers. You have 5 million ingested uh, events for free per month, and then after it's just 10 cents per million. And all ingested events are measured in 8 kilobyte chunks. So you can really, you know, feed a lot of things into your Eventbridge and discover the, the schema automatically and then uh, act on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like Eventbridge. It's really, we're automating a lot of things now with customers across multiple accounts, chain with Slack and other products um, to create bots and, and, uh, you know, create an AWS account, create tickets, close tickets, all of that's with Eventbridge. So it's good.
2: Yeah. Uh, and I guess the other announcement was around Amplify being able to have custom scripts execute when you're running CLI commands in Amplify so if you've got a need to do things um, post a push or um, before you add something um, you can run those scripts using a hooks folder so, so that will allow you to execute
1: those scripts when you run the uh, corresponding command
0: yep. undoubtedly useful to some people
1: Yep. I to enforce, I guess, litting and all the type of. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, any sort of consistent behavior you want that you want to enforce could be supported by it. Yeah.
0: Yep. But that's it for serverless. A bit disappointing, to be honest.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Graviton's nice. Yep.
0: Yeah, But still, we've got two more months until reinvent. So, I'm sure something will show up during that period. Then. Let's start with EKS Anywhere that was announced at reInvent last year and it's basically a way to hook up your on-premise or running in different clouds or however or even within AWS I believe Kubernetes clusters that you can manage them all through EKS. We're all big fans here of Kubernetes of course. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly I'm unsure what the added advantage of this is, other than maybe seeing things in a single place.
1: Yeah, and and try to get some support as well. So you you can get uh, enterprise uh, support For your clusters, it's quite expensive. It's like 25k per cluster for three years. Um, No, per year, sorry, Uh, or uh, 18,000 dollars per cluster per year for three years. And you can, but for that, you need to have enterprise support. So it's quite of an expensive exercise to get support from AWS, but they can help you to troubleshoot your EKS clusters, and then you can have them all in one place uh, effectively. But you will need a connector though to connect uh, your cluster back to uh, AWS, and that has. been released as well this month in GA to be able to um, connect that back to the AWS backplane.
2: But I guess if you're using um, Kubernetes, it's because you're you've, you're massive and you've got huge amounts of money anyway, right? So those sorts of sums are probably no no big deal.
1: Uh, it's probably a response as well for you know Azure does the same thing, GCP does the same thing with two different weird name products. So yeah, to respond to that demand um, and it's open source, so. Yeah
0: something else the Twenty a is the Amazon managed service for Prometheus. Uh, Prometheus generally used for monitoring Kubernetes clusters. So that you can use it for other things but that is the main use case I've seen for it. Been waiting for that one for a while. I believe it was also announced at re:Invent. So it's now here if I remember correctly. A couple months ago, the beta version had a price drop, so it should all be affordable. But obviously, as always, uh, see how well it works for you. And it works not just with EKS, but also with EC2 or ECS. And just, I'm guessing, generally anything that runs a Prometheus agent. Yep.
1: <laughs> and so what works with Prometheus is Grafana as well. So now the, the Grafana product is generally available uh with new features um it has been upgraded to version eight. Uh you can use your AWS single sign-on SSO to be able to connect to the environment and do monitoring. So you integrate with uh CloudWatch, X-ray, Prometheus, SNS, all of that, and it's in Sydney, so it's quite it's quite good. Um, I had a look at the pricing. So you have 90 days free trial for five users, but then after you need to pay at least $9 per month for an editor view. And then you have a $5 for each viewer as well. So that's uh, for the open source version. If you want the Grafana Enterprise Edition, that's much more expensive uh, where you go to the marketplace and and purchase a marketplace product for $3,500. And uh, the monthly charge move from, um, you know, $36 for editor license and then $10 for viewer license on top of it. So a small environment uh, for 30 people is around $5,000 a month uh, all up. So it's... um, yeah, decent price. But if you need Grafana, it's better to run it on AWS as a SaaS product than doing your own service.
0: The other thing here that is useful is easier. at the ability to replicate individual repositories to other regions and accounts. So what this allows you to do is if you have a repository and you push an image there up, it will automatically sync it to whatever region or account you've got set up for it. <coughs> One thing that this might be useful for is when you have set up with Docker, it needs to pull the image from an ECR within the same account. Obviously, building your image in each environment, and therefore presumably each account, is not great fun. So being able to do it in one place and then automatically sync it to your dev testing and production environment makes life a lot easier. Oh yeah, that makes
1: sense, yeah.
2: There's a bit of a pattern of these, of AWS making syncing things that are useful across different accounts and regions, um, making that uh, something that they're, they're doing, addressing at a product level.
0: Now, to be fair, this is not the right solution for that particular issue the right solution would be that Lambda would be able to pull it in from an ECR in a different account.
1: Yeah, 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 sure. Another improvement for Amazon ECR is the ability to uh, launch containers directly into AppRunners if your Amazon ECR is public. That's an easy way to test, uh, quickly test some application, popular web application like Nginx or something into AppRunner. Mm. You can pull directly from a public ECR gallery.
2: Has anyone actually given that a go? I, I tried to use it for something, but it was um, the number of runtimes that it had support for was pretty small at the time, uh, and it just didn't match the the one I needed.
0: No, I haven't bothered with it yet. Right. I was not impressed.
2: Oh, really? It, it looked, looked pretty nice for for a, for someone who's not sort of a major container um, expert. It, it looked like it was potentially filled a niche.
0: I'm sure it fills a niche.
2: Yeah. Just not your niche. <laughs> it doesn't fill
0: your niche. <laughs> it's it's more like a um, a beanstalk or ops type product. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Which fills a niche.
0: Which fills a niche. Yeah, it's just not yeah. one I prefer to work with.
2: <laughs> you choose. You choose to stay out of that niche. Yeah, fair enough.
0: Easy to MVPC VPC. Yep. Yep. Usually, I'd start with instances here, but actually, I think the biggest announcement here was. The new global view in the console
2: yeah it's certainly handy yeah it's um it's one of those things that that's probably frustrated all of us where you know you you know, you know you spun up an instance somewhere and you can't remember which region you was <laughs> in and well, now the global view will let you see all of your resource all of your e c two VPC, subnet type resources all all across multiple regions um in the one on the one screen, which is yeah super handy if you've got a complex environment and you do do things in different in different regions
1: even volumes and security groups as well so so sometimes you forgot you got ebs costs in different region you forgot you have attached volume in there yeah yeah yeah
0: and you can easily search for things as well in there so it's not just a list it's also it allows you to search so you can search by name and you see or tag or whatever and you can see everything related to that across the world
1: i saw some people complaining about scp or im blocking certain regions and they couldn't see that console did you see that problem that was me
2: that was me complaining about that <laughs> yeah it, it's just the, the 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 thing that the current setup and i'm sure they'll fix it at some point is is if you've got a scp blocking you from certain regions it will it will still poll those regions it'll throw a little error message and put a banner up and if you leave the, the that, that global view open and your console for a period of time uh, eventually the the little error messages will crowd out the, the actual content and you'll end up with not being able to see anything except error messages but you know that's just a small UX glitch I'm sure they'll figure out that that happens to some people and and they'll um, they'll address it but uh, yeah look doesn't I'm not it doesn't take away from the, the, the utility of the of the global view I'm not going to knock them for, for a small UX thing
1: very good um there is some new instances uh, this month are as well the vt1 uh, for live multi stream video transcoding uh some quite kind a of- uh, instances there with 4K UHD capabilities and H264 and 265 uh, codecs um, and apparently it's provide a, a 30% better pricing for streaming and 60% better pricing than GPU as well than EC2. So that's available in US East, West and Europe, Ireland and Tokyo, not yet in Sydney. And would they have ever done that if,
2: if it hadn't been for the pandemic? That's the question I, I, I ask myself. <laughs> you know, just this sheer amount of video streaming that happens today. That, you know, well, look at us. We're, we're, we're sitting here streaming video to each other. Yeah, it'd be interesting to think if the world hadn't had a pandemic, would, would, they be, would they've gone to the effort of actually building a whole dedicated instance type to precisely this problem?
0: Probably at some point, maybe a couple of years later, but I'm sure it yeah. would have shown up. I'm more interested actually now that I see this again, considering that all of Twitch, including the source code, was just leaked. I wonder how that would run on these instances. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, for a pricing point of view, um, you have three types the 3x large, 6x large, and 24x large, from $0.65 cents an hour to $5.20 an hour, up to a 96 CPU and 192 gig memory, and 25. Uh, megabit of bandwidth uh, 25,000 Sorry, megabit of bandwidth so um, if you want to learn to run 64 stream you need the big one um, if you run just 8 streams then you can have the small version of that instance and uh, you can stream up to uh, 3.12 uh, uh, gigabit per second so it's pretty good still
0: yeah. and of course the nice thing with this is if you don't need to stream a lot and this is where the cloud and AWS is so useful you can only spin it up when you need it just host your little um, conference or whatever on the meetup and it can cost you a couple dollars
1: Mm. or private yeah yeah
0: so that's pretty cool Mm. other thing um ec2 t3 instances are now supported on dedicated hosts yeah in some regions
1: so yeah, apparently you can run more instances on dedicated host. I don't know. Even my more secure customers don't use dedicated host. I don't know you guys, but it's um, just too expensive. Mm-hmm.
0: It seems like an unnecessary overhead. Of, what is it? A dollar an hour extra?
1: Mm. Uh, that's a dedicated instance. Oh yeah. Uh, but dedicated host, um, you buy the whole host and it's in single lazy. So yeah. and you can run only one type of instance on it. So it's kind of becoming a nightmare. Better not moving to right?
2: Yeah. Is it, is it, for, is it for, for customers who just can't get over the idea of sharing sharing? Like they just didn't share when they were children?
1: <laughs> well, maybe. But I think it's more for licensing. Uh, yeah. If you wanted to use MSDN, I think if you want to use SQLs and you can. This is my host. This is the host number. This is the, my licensing. And you pay per calls instead of paying per instance. And so so um, having T3 now uh, because it's burstable. Um, allow you to stack them up with more instances in it instead of using M5.
2: Up to uh, up to 192 instances per host.
1: Yeah, good luck on 48 cores. That's a lot of machines. <laughs> but I guess that's the na- that's the
2: nature of T3 of burstable workloads. Is you, you you're you're assuming that they're gonna not all be bursting at the same time.
0: That's probably what AWS wants them on. What else do we have here? Yeah, speaking of Graviton, you can now. Uh, seeing Compute Optimizer, how useful it is to migrate there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, though, that probably doesn't take into account all the development work that might be needed for migrating your application.
2: Yeah, you can specify whether you whether you want to look at ARM, ARM architecture, though. So I think it doesn't it doesn't rub your nose in it if you if you if you can't migrate. But um, yeah, if you choose to to have it tell you about ARM, it will. Yeah, which yeah, makes sense. I mean, it's good to help you, I guess, figure out what the what the uh, cost benefit ratio is to, you know, if you think you're going to have to do a little bit of work, at least, if, you know, if it's worth thousands to you, then it's probably worth doing. So, yeah, that makes sense
1: for people who are using a lot the marketplace uh, and the. IMI from the marketplace. I think there's a very good improvement there with ISs. So in the past, when you were designing uh, templates or infrastructure as code, you had to name the IMI ID and that might change over time with the marketplace. So now you can define uh from uh, the marketplace and then ref- refer them into your code. And so when the new version comes up, you get the new version automatically. Uh, so that, that's, uh, that's pretty good. And uh, it's across region as well.
2: Yeah, so I imagine that would have been a pretty good use case too. Like if you've got a, a different AMI ID across different regions to be able to have an alias to refer to it regardless of region
1: that's gonna resolve appropriately be useful. Yep. Yep. And you can use the lattice tag as well and to be able to make sure that you get the latest version of that AMI. So um, I think that's been a long in the making, but good, very good improvement. Yeah,
0: definitely.
2: So now you can you can uh, also use Windows Server 2022 on Amazon EC2, which is uh, which when I read that, I thought, what year are we in? Oh, it's 2021, isn't it? <laughs> okay, 2022. Hmm. So this is like, you know, some kind of future future, uh, futuristic voyage that we're heading on
1: with Windows, is it? Well, server always does that. I think they release a version in advance. Does it? Yeah.
2: But how do they know 2022 is even going to happen?
0: <laughs> I mean... <laughs> they're, they're positive. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. more
0: positive than you, clearly.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're just a big bunch of optimists, aren't they? Yeah.
0: I mean, you could also think of it as that is the year that the first... Um, Stable version of it will be available. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's probably exactly what they're thinking, is. Yeah. So we're we, we beta testing it now. We'd, we, we'd like it to be remembered as 2022, even though we launched it in 2021. <laughs> forget, all the, forget all the bugs. They were in 2021. They don't count.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, you just pick them from, from the list and you can run them, uh, the new 22 version uh, on AWS, and AWS uh, will maintain that. Uh, IMI with all the patch, everything like they do for 2019. Yep. If you must. Yes.
0: Also some things on the VPC side. There's a couple small ones and then probably a couple big ones that we'll have Jam talk about. (laughs) First one that I was quite happy with is that you can now finally resize your prefix lists.
1: Yes, I don't understand why they did that. Why the prefix list was fixed and you had to destroy it and redo it. Well, that was defeating the purpose. So I'm very glad they they added that functionality now, yeah.
0: Because that was really annoying and I had a tendency to just... Even if I only had one IP range to put into it, I would just give it like size of five because... I was afraid more would be added and yeah. have to, especially when it was shared across different accounts.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's good. Perfectly, list. I recommend people to use it now. Um, and yeah, you can really help uh, having your CRDR into there, um, be able to be used safely into security groups and other places in the routing. Um, and that simplifies a lot the management of uh, security and IP routes into your VPC. Another improvement seems small, but um, I think the... Uh, IPv6 endpoint are available now for the EC2 instance metadata service, time sync, and uh, VPC DNS. So I'm sure if you did any exam on AWS, you know that uh, 169254, 169254 is where to get your metadata from um, the metadata service to understand uh, EC2, uh, IP, and, and all sorts of information on your, on your AMI. But now you have an IPv6 version, uh, which is FD00 EC2. Dot dot two five four. So following the same type of pattern and with the EC two term in there in, in the route in the IP that they manage well. That's for the metadata service. I still recommend you to use metadata service version two with a token for security. Don't use the version one. You can be you know people can steal your credential and all of that. So use version two. Um, time seek is one twenty three. Usually here again FT 0 EC two. 123 uh, for uh, IPv6 and then the provided DNS as well. So you can still use your .2 from the VPC for your DNS and you have the 169.254.169.253. 169.253. Uh, same for DNS. Um, you can have the FD00EC2.253 for resolving your DNS. So that's pretty good services. Um, and, you know, don't run your own time sync or your own DNS. Just use the VPC-provided one. Yep. Cool.
2: I thought you might be interested in the um, uh, routing enhancement that allow you in to inspect traffic between subnets as well, JM. I was, that, 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 that looked interesting to me.
1: Uh, I had customer many years ago who asked me to, to be able to do that, and uh, that was not possible. So now, now you can't. And that was really a big limitation of the VPC. You couldn't have a more uh, detailed route than the default local route. Now you can. And you can redirect for each of your subnet, um, uh, to a specific ENI or um, a global getaway load balancer where you can run, you know, inspection traffic. So you can really have a firewall between your public, between your private and between your database. And then uh, that one per AZ. Um, so very, very good option, uh, for people who want to run stuff as well. I mean, I know people want to run, you know, different load balancers, uh, in cloud uh getaways and all sorts of things you can now run that into your vpc you don't have to get out of the v- vpc go to the transit gateway and come back you can inspect traffic between all each of your vpc and you can even chain them uh the only limitation is you need to have a dedicated subnet for your appliance because it need to be obviously a route and, and that route needs to be pointing to the ENI and that's the only way to do a route is to have a d- dedicated subnet. Mm. So yeah fantastic improvement way advanced uh, to compare with the cloud, to have that option to really build whatever you want on the VPC now.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to trying to get my um, renew my uh, SA Pro certification before they start asking questions about this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should be okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will be fine. Right. Um, another announcement was oh the oh the one I love the application load balancer target group for network load balancer that has been you know. A very big demand for many customers. I don't know Arjen, uh, if you have something on this, but uh, for me, there was like a version that AWS provided with Lambda function where updating IPs and all sorts of things. But that is very uh, kind of clean design. You can have an NLB talking to the ILB, talking to your um, instances uh, with a fixed IP obviously on the NLB with Elastic IP or with Private Link as well. So you can publish now stuff on Private Link across multiple accounts and
0: multiple environment. That is so much nicer.
1: Yeah. What you cannot do, though, is to do TLS on the network load balancer. So obviously you need to do TLS on the... Uh, application load balancer, the NLB will pass through the, the, the TLS traffic. You can't offload it. It works only with IPv4. So that's a big, uh, even if you enable IPv6 on both sides, uh, the NLB will talk to the ILB on IPv4. And both of the uh, load balancers need to be in the same account and same VPC. So that's a limitation. and I'm fully sure, Customer would love to be able to do different VPC, different accounts to route through transit gateways and stuff like that. Otherwise, it's not possible. You need to be both in the same VPC. But I mean, the private link is fantastic, uh, and people who want to publish stuff from on prime or from from other account are going to be uh, such a big improvement there. I
2: think it's a good good enough starting point, don't you? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> no,
1: no. Uh, instead of running lambdas yeah. and, and uh, updating IPs, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got one more thing. Um, and that was a big, big problem for network bandwidth. Um, when you were talking to an internet getaway, a die connect or, or across region, you were limited to five gig of bandwidth, no matter what, as soon as you get out of the VPC. Uh, now with bigger instances. So if you have more than 32 CPU, the bandwidth is, uh, 50% of your instance ba- network bandwidth. So, for example, for a C5N9XLarge, uh, the total bandwidth for that instance is 50 gig. So now you can expect 25 gig bandwidth to your internet getaway, to your direct connect, if it is obviously big enough, and then to other AWS regions. So you can have a very fast instance as a getaway uh, from your VPC point of view, and you are not limited anymore of that 5 gig limit who existed in the past. So, um, yeah, interesting. I don't know how... Th- that good to work with plasma groups and other things like that that you might be able to spread them more efficiently um, to and still maintaining the high bandwidth across VPCs so it would be interesting
0: mm. let's have a look at Devon Ops then let's make at least one of our listeners happy and get the big news here out of the way that's <laughs> the release of Coretta 17
1: okay we can uh, oh yes that's we've, enough
0: we've, we've mentioned it
1: now <laughs> So you can run the latest g d k seventeen yes available for Linux Windows and mac os fantastic thank you amazon Corridor.
0: even a w s has like two sentences or sorry, three sentences in the announcement so we've already spent more time on it
2: Yes yeah, right. It is a pretty small announcement yes they didn't They didn't spend a lot of money in writing that one up yeah I thought um in Devops uh well actually so Probably the the, the the nice, the big one is, um, which maybe we're I'm skipping things, but the retry from point of failure for CloudFormation. It's probably the biggest announcement of the month.
0: It's definitely one of my favorite announcements um, for the whole month.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to save you so much time, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So to recap what this actually is with CloudFormation, it used to be up until this announcement that if anything goes wrong when you create or update a stack, it will roll back the entire stack. This is obviously a security thing and has its good points. It can also mean that when you're dealing with something that takes a long time to update or build and then get destroyed again, you can sometimes wait for hours just because you had a typo in an S3 bucket name, which therefore was already in use. Now with the... Uh, retry stack operations. What you can do instead is you can, when you do your deployment, you can make sure that it doesn't roll everything back, but only the things that actually failed. And then you can continue from there by updating your templates or parameters or whichever thing caused the issue.
2: Yeah. So at that point, you can either decide to upload a new template or, or change the template that you... Uh, yeah, so give... Basically, upload a new version of the template if you want to, or if it's a parameter that was bad, you can update the parameter and just retry the stack with a different parameter value. So those are the two essential retry options you have. And you can still also still uh, do a full rollback if you want to, if you want to be old school and, you know, for a lot of stacks, if if they're only going to take five minutes to build, maybe the existing Traditional behavior is, is is something you're more comfortable with, which would make sense. But yeah, as Ian said, I mean, where you're talking about a stack that might take two hours to build and we've all been there with that really, 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 really long running stack that gets stuck somewhere and then it fails, you know, at 98% and you feel like, um, well you feel very sad <laughs> and maybe you feel just a little bit angry as well. <laughs> so yeah, to be able to kind of go, okay, I'm going to retry just that bit at the end um, and, uh, and be able to pick that up where it left off is, is going to be, it's going to save a lot of hair from being pulled out.
1: I think. Yeah. Yep. There's a, there's a nice blog about it. which show different options and what happened. And um, yeah, it's uh, seems to be very, they
2: you want to use them. Yeah, they've thought it through. I think they've thought it through well. Uh, it looks looks good.
0: So I will take this opportunity, though while we're talking about cloud formation, to plug something that I wrote. I think both of you missed both of the presentations I gave about it.
1: No, I've seen I've seen the one at the Ambassador. <laughs> I was there. Okay, was, I've seen okay. it.
0: Cool. Yeah. Um, it's a tool called Fog. Uh, it's basically to make it easier to do all your cloud formation deployments it's on YouTube, uh, on YouTube. it's on github uh, just under ion slash fog and basically it aims to prevent a lot of the issues that i've had with cloud formation so i don't like that it has different commands for updating and creating stacks i think that it's important that everything including your parameters and tags are in code so it enforces that it forces you to always look at the chain sets whether or not you can have it auto-approved, obviously, for in your CICD pipelines. But all those things that I find important are there. And new, um, which was only added in the 1.0 release that went up yesterday as of this recording, is um, similar to what we just discussed with Amplify, the ability to automatically run hooks, commands, I call them pre-checks, before the deployment happens. So you can have it run your CFN lint, your CFN guards, all of those, and unless they are successful, you can tell it this can't be deployed.
2: Sounds very cool.
0: Yeah, I'd suggest check it out. Um, but I'm biased. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but does it work with CDK? Uh,
0: as long as you oh. <laughs> export it properly as a CloudFormation template.
2: <laughs> so you could put it in the chain. Put it in the chain there somewhere. Does it understand Cloud Assembly?
0: Uh, no, I don't think so.
2: No, no, nobody does. It was a trick question. <laughs> Have you ever tried to read that stuff? Oh, that's really annoying.
0: But let's get back to what AWS gave us. Mm-hmm.
2: Code Guru inconsistency detector. That that was um, that's kind of a neat a neat thing. It analyzes your coding patterns within your repo and detects when there's anomalies. So. If you normally, you know, structure something a certain way and suddenly you don't, you're not doing that, it'll flag those sorts of issues. So not only, I guess, looking at, I mean, CodeGuru's tagline, I guess, originally was find your most expensive lines of code. So I guess now they're kind of into delving into more code quality elements like, you know, is your code just looking, is this section of code just inconsistent with, you know, what your code normally looks like and it'll let you know
0: yeah i mean the reviewer part didn't necessarily deal with the expensive parts of code that was more the profiler all oh, right because code core is two pieces
2: Ah, okay yeah yeah i haven't used it so that shows obviously
0: <laughs> uh, but regardless yeah inconsistency checks can be very useful um, especially in larger teams of course it's still limited to java and python
2: but what else is there
0: no other languages exist.
2: That's right, exactly.
0: Other thing, code build supports small ARM in- machine types. So you could already use an ARM instance type with code build, but that was a bigger one. Now you can save a little bit of money by using a smaller type.
1: So yeah, you had to use 8vCPU, which I don't know why, uh, but now you can use 2vCPU Graviton uh, to run your uh, code build. Yep. So that's good. Smaller runners.
0: Mm-hmm. We all, of course, uh, love that Device Farm now supports testing web apps on Microsoft Edge browser.
2: Ooh, why bother? Yeah, That's basically the that same of that.
0: as Chrome anyway. But as Chrome anyway, now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: And I think it's still, you know, something like 1.5% of the general stats in terms of browser usage, but it's, I guess it's probably higher in corporate settings or, you know, that sort of thing, I guess.
0: Online tech. Related
2: yeah, things, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But as you say, yeah. Hopefully, these days they're all using Chrome,
1: Chromium. As system manager, you can now import your own calendars uh, for uh, maintenance windows or or patch windows and stuff like that. So you, you can import ICS format of calendars. So that's been quite interesting. I mean, as a company, you know, they have marketing campaigns, they have uh, blackout periods and stuff like that, so that now you can import them into your system manager to don't do maintenance on that day. <laughs> that might be a good idea. Um, so you can, you can import calendars from other format now. That's
0: good. Yep. There's an integration between CloudWatch Application Insights and Systems Manager Application Manager. Um it seems to just work a bit better together um, it doesn't actually. When I first read it, I thought it combined into a single service, but
1: I think it's just the alarm going on one. But if you want to dig in, you still need to go to uh, uh, application insight. Yeah, yeah.
2: So I didn't, I didn't notice earlier that there's a CDK announcement. So I better, better cover that because I'm a CDK fanboy.
1: Yeah, we want. Uh, we were thought it was you. Right? You can improve now firewalls, platform cognito with CDK.
2: Firewalls. That's right. Yeah. So um four new versions actually that's interesting v1 V yeah, two. On oh i am i'm on v2 now yeah yeah because i'm i'm an early adopter I, I like to live on the edge <laughs> I don't use Edge, but I like to live on the Edge, yeah. Yeah, so support for Kinesis Firehose Construct Library. The CloudFront Construct Library now supports Origin Shield. Uh, so that's useful. Um, CloudWatch supports defining alarms across AWS accounts and Cognito User Pools support device tracking. Uh, so that's if you're wanting to use those features and you're using CDK version 1 uh, at the moment, then that would be a nice thing to get for free. Congratulations. Enjoy,
0: and I guess then the last one to uh, mention here is ADOT, uh, which is the AWS distro for Open Telemetry, which is a new tracing solution. It works together with X-Ray, but also other things like Gravana, which mentioned earlier as being available here now, but so Prometheus in preview, I believe.
1: Yes, Ab Dynamics, Dynatrace, uh, a new way they can plug. I mean, the the and the really the the favorite right for that. Datadog dog as well.
2: So how does this how does this sit compared to X Ray? I mean, is this a, are they supporting just a popular open source product here? Uh, I'm not I'm not sort of okay with it really. Is this is this because it sort of sounds like a competitor to X Ray to me?
0: It works together with X Ray apparently. From what I can see here, so you send the traces to X-Ray. Hmm. I think it's just a different agent to collect the data and then send it out. So instead of the X-Ray agent, you can use...
1: Ah, distro. Right. A dot. Yep. Hmm. Gotcha. So there's a blog as well uh, talking about that and how I can integrate with other product. Shall
0: we look at the security things? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, um, security. So we have ACM uh, Private CA now support online certificate status protocol or CSP. So in the past, uh, you were supporting just the CRL, so the uh, certificate revocation list that you could download from a history bucket. Um, now you can support online uh, certificate status protocol or CSP uh, for uh, live uh, revocation. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to enable it. I mean, it's for your SCM private CA, but you don't have to enable it because it's a bit more cost and then your application need to be able to use that. So uh, the OCSP is uh, $0.06 per certificate and then you have uh, $0.20 as well of 100,000 queries on the uh, certificate base. Uh, But, you know, that's the norm. That's the standard that everybody wants to use. So it's good that product now is supported with SCM private CA. Yep, yep.
2: Um, There's been an update to Macy uh, that allows you now to choose which managed data identifiers you want to look at when you're or look for when you're when you set up a a particular job. So you can basically customize what what sort of data you're looking to get Macy to alert you about on a per job basis.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, we don't have social security number here. We have Medicare numbers and stuff like that. So you, you can adapt it to the more strong way. I think that's that's very good. And um, yeah, for all the PI information. So that's a product we're going to be more and more in use, I think. And they dropped the price recently. So I think more people are going to use it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the IBM Access Analyzer, who can generate now fine going policies, um, uh, they... Support now fifty more services, so you can really uh, use that product to uh, create new policies, you analyze your cloudware logs in the past, and then uh, recommend some policies for you to to generate. And you can really grant only the required permission for your workload instead of uh, being a bit more generous sometimes with with uh, IAM policies. So that's a good uh, good addition of products.
0: And on the website, uh, Firewall Manager now supports both log filtering, and rate-based rules. So it's nice that you can manage those centrally now.
2: Mm. So they just let you decrease the volume of logs that basically you want to pass through Firewall Manager. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is basically functionality that was released for WAF a while back. Yeah. But now you can manage it through the Firewall Manager.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, and so automatically, if you create new WAF or if you have new account coming in your organization, then they will get applied the same rules. So that's pretty good. And then the inline regular expression as well, so you can combine them now uh, into a rule where before you had to have a separate rule for that, and you can save as well on the uh, Web ACL capacity unit. Mm-hmm. Um so the new rules use only 3 WCU instead of 25 so you can sta- stack more rules in, into your your ACL which is good. Yeah,
2: then the only downside is you can't share because it's not a pattern set. You can't share it between WAFs. So if you wanted to reuse a regex pattern across multiple things you you, you can't do that with, with that. Right. So a regex pattern says actually it's a separate object. So there's an, there's there's some advantages to, to going that way as well.
0: But the old way is still supported, so you can do whatever.
2: Yeah, the old way is, That's right. Yeah, yeah. So if your needs are simple and you're happy to do as an inline in regex, then yes, it's fewer WCU's, so it's going to be cheap, cheaper for you to to go that way.
0: Data storage and processing then. So we have a new product. Yes. We've got uh, Amazon Open Search Service, successor to Amazon Elasticsearch Service <laughs> in the brackets that we've come to love. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
1: So yeah, I was doing some research on LST Search and then suddenly all the documentation has been renamed. So you go online, all the AWS documentation now talk about Open Search. I said, what? Mm. <laughs> this new product? No, it's just uh, renamed the product and it's now version 1.0. That's the AWS fork edition of LSD Search. And they take the opportunity to release plenty of new stuff, like a new notebook, uh, a new... um uh, data stream, open search, simplify management of time series and data, all sort of new enhancement, mm. which is great. Yeah.
2: Yeah, there's certainly um, certainly putting a lot of effort into it. Do, do you think there's a certain amount of um, enmity going on <laughs> the sort of behind all this in a way? Or is it Elasticsearch saying you can't you've got to stop using our name uh, immediately?
0: I think there was definitely something like that yeah. going on because that's always been a pain point from Elasticsearch. And I guess AWS now decided, you know what, we're not going to get anything new from Elasticsearch because let's be clear, OpenSearch, the service, uh, still supports all the Elasticsearch services that it did up until now. Yeah. Yeah. But you can only upgrade to OpenSearch from there and you can't go from OpenSearch to Elasticsearch anymore.
2: Yeah. And presumably, they, AWS has a significant enough investment in, in Elasticsearch over the years, like, you know, um, Ultra Warm and various enhancements that they've made to it, that they don't want people to bleed away to using Elastic at this point. They want to hang on to people. Yeah. So I guess it makes sense for them to have a flurry of announcements and say, hey, look, we've got this and this and this and this, and look how, look how much stuff we're doing. It's really exciting. Stick with us and OpenSearch. This is the future.
1: Oh, they call it the successor of Amazon Elasticsearch. <laughs> 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 so it's, it's really clearly the marketing world there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: I, I bet the lawyers had a field day on that uh, one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what word can we use? Oh, it used to be. No, 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 no. Successor. Successor to Elasticsearch. Oh, the,
1: the classic edition and then the <laughs> new.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Le- legacy. Le- legacy Elasticsearch it'll be the next one
1: but one of the good improvement is the index uh transform um so you can uh now uh, extract significant information from your large data set of indexes and then reduce them and make them more valuable so it's a bit like a materialized view that you have in database and uh, you can make your search more efficient faster and so on so you know i think uh, it's great to have AWS really improving the product and that's becoming their product It's still open source right you can still still using it as open source but you have all this new improvement and i might leave elastic behind unfortunately for
0: them elastic is innovating itself quite hard as well i, I wouldn't i wouldn't count them out no no we're good. just because the 800 pound gorilla decided ah oh, we don't really like your terms so we'll do our four and go with that
2: yeah yeah look i think you know it's it's healthy for for the market i think to have at least two strong products in the market and, and obviously we will. So that's that's good. And um yeah, I mean the whole argument about, you know, I think I think a lot of people get a bit I don't know, it's difficult because I mean the same thing happened with Docker recently, right? With Docker Docker desktop and becoming, you know, a commercial product and not free anymore and people get upset about this stuff. It's a difficult must be difficult to have a incredibly popular open source product. To need to Basically commercialize it at some point. Yeah. And uh, yeah, everybody hates you <laughs> when you do, when you try. It doesn't matter what you do. Everybody hates you. Oh, well, you know, a lot of people are going to hate hate on you for it.
0: Well, Elasticsearch hasn't changed their money-making ways. They still just have, they offer Elasticsearch itself for free and you can buy extra things for it. Yeah. They just changed their licensing. So Yeah, that-
2: to make it harder for cloud providers to keep, keep basically using it the way they were Yeah, to yeah. basically
0: make millions or billions of dollars uh, from their work without giving anything back
2: yeah 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 which is fair enough you know can't, can't argue with them on that at all yeah
0: one thing to watch out for with this change by the way is and um, ian mackay had a good blog post that describes how to deal with that is the cloud formation resource names have changed as well from elastic search to open search Ah. So um, I think Elasticsearch still works at the moment, but if you want to upgrade to use OpenSearch, then you need to... Find and replace. (laughs) Find and replace, but doing that will obviously destroy the old cluster. Yeah, yeah. So you will need to first detach it from your CloudFormation stack, then import it in a new stack and things like that. Right. A post describing each of the steps will be added to the show notes so if you need to go through this i suggest you have a read
2: mm. don't destroy your Elasticsearch cluster
1: <laughs> you'd be very sad <laughs> yeah hopefully do best uh, don't decide to rename lambda or something or the product because <laughs> we're in trouble <laughs> okay um we move to database more graviton yeah
0: more graviton t4g instances for aurora yeah and uh, X2G instances, mm. so whether you want them, very small or very big, yeah. and actually the same also for RDS with MySQL, MariaDB, and Postgres.
1: Yeah, X2G are not in Sydney yet, though, via T4R, uh, which is interesting. Um, so the X2G, yeah, new Graviton uh, with a lot of memory and uh, apparently compared to R6G, they are double the memory per vCPUs, uh, so up to 16 extra large and 1 terabyte of memory, hmm. which is massive for a, a nice database. A quite expensive. I mean, $12 an hour. Not everyone can run that, but, um, you know, it's it's a very nice Aurora version. And if you compare them to the 6 version or, or the uh, T4G uh, to compare the T3 uh, version on x eighty six you have uh, you know around 10 percent saving just a price per hour as well so
0: just upgrade to t4g
1: your aurora Mhm.
0: and on the rds side also for mysql and postgres r5b instances where the b apparently seems to stand for bandwidth as it has three times the iops and bandwidth on ebs compared to the regular r5 instances Mm.
1: yeah but you will need uh, the new mysql 8 or uh, postgres 12 to be able to use them you can't have older version version that
0: i'm sure your favorite database service uh, you want to discuss guy which is the aura serverless v1 i love how they still call it v1 even though v2 still isn't available for us <laughs> yeah but anyway it has um, configurable auto scaling timeouts
1: that's right yes so yeah, the default value uh, usually is five minutes. So it won't scale. Um, well, actually, it scale up automatically, no matter what. It's the scaling down with now uh, half five minutes, and you can, you can do a timeout now between one and 10 minutes to uh, slowly reduce your overall uh, serverless. But the scale-up is always automatic.
0: EFS now has intelligent tiering. Uh, this is similar to what we already had for S3 where AWS decides this, is, this should now go to a lower cost tier.
2: Yeah, so based on access patterns, it'll just say, "Oh, I'm going to move this to infrequently accessed on EFS to so save, you, save you some cash. That's a good thing.
0: Indeed. Speaking of the S3 intelligent tiering, that has also improved a bit with some cost optimizations for short-lived and small objects. It was always an issue there that small objects or items that don't last for 30 days because it wouldn't kick in until 30 days didn't get any of the benefits. And now they've improved it a bit in that regard.
1: So yeah, for objects smaller than 128k, 28k, uh, there's no cost uh, for Intelligent Turing. So which is
0: good. It is good. Egress still costs, just pointing it out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, did anyone have a look at the multi-region access points? That looks pretty interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So they reuse basically a global accelerator in front of it. Um, and then you, you basically uh, provide, um, uh, S3 buckets, uh, per each of your regions. Uh, you organize for you automatically the replication if you don't have one already. So you can replicate buckets across multiple regions. Uh, you can decide to replicate one source bucket to all the regions mm-hmm. or, each package to everywhere, um, so it's about being closer to your to your customer in each region and having that single S three name that you can name in your code yep. and everybody point to the same thing, and then the accelerator take care of uh, doing the the routing to the proper region. So um, yeah, very nice, cool, cool product. Yeah, that, that is neat. Yeah,
0: um, one thing that uh, is also interesting with that is you you're probably both very familiar with the SIG v four that you need to access your uh, S3 securely with this um, for this they developed uh, SIG 4A because the SIG V4 didn't work multi-region right Okay. apparently there's a good explanation from Cole McCarthy I haven't watched it or read it yet I think he did it on Twitch um, I'll find S- so it's gone it. now <laughs> <laughs> no it's uh, up on. Uh, it's just- it's, it's everywhere, everywhere. yeah. it's <laughs> <Yes>, right. <laughs> um, they'll find the link and share that because it's, a, it's supposedly a very good explanation in depth on how that all works. And he always has very good explanations, so it's definitely worth checking out. Cool. Uh, is either of you familiar with NetApp OnTap? Yeah. I can talk about it if you want. Please do. Um,
1: yeah, AWS has a new product, uh, Amazon FSx for NetApp on top. Uh, NetApp, big provider of SAN and NAS product, um, started probably 15 years ago. Were well, very innovative in the uh, world when in the past you had a SAN. With the one provider and you got a NAS and the other provider. So NetApp was able to bring the two product together and having the central storage with multiple protocol. Um, so now AWS uh, decided to offer that product managed by AWS and nodes managed by AWS and he um, offered basically storage which is a single region and and single AZ product with option of replication in multiple AZ uh, for NFS, SMB, and iSCSI. So basically it's a managed service where AWS could going to manage the NetApp product and NetApp hardware for you and then provide you an endpoint to um, uh, provide a SSD on multiple protocol. Mm-hmm. So you can have the same volume shared with NFS and SMB uh, and um, uh, using snapshots, u- using a SnapMirror. If you want to replicate one of your NetApp on-prem to, to AWS as well, that, that works. You can replicate between regions. So it's a, it's a, I mean, NetApp always has been a really good product on-prem. Uh, now is on AWS and you can use it. Obviously, it's expensive. Uh, there is a lot of hardware behind this for... Uh, a, a like a 70 terabyte environment is around five thousand dollars a month uh, with a small throughput they use ssd storage you can do um, deduplication they can you know do all sort of like fancy stuff like the all the data does. and uh, yeah it's around 10 cents per gig on ssds and then you need to pay for every iops and you need to pay for throughput capacity as well so uh, expensive product but you know some people might want to use that for building oracle racks or all the type of clustering stuff with iSCSI so um yeah cool cool new product new fsX maybe more to come uh or auto terminate um EMR clusters to lower the cost so now you can uh, specify the uh, idle timeout when your EMR cluster will be terminated um you need uh, emR six point four and it will monitor your your own application hdfS utilization and active EMR notebook and studio, and then uh, by default it's 60 minutes. Um, it will switch it off, or uh, you can have a timer between one minute and seven days as well. So try to save money, shut down your email clusters. I know some customers are running very big environment, so that will definitely save money in dev and, and UAT.
0: Then on the AI and ML side, not a lot again this month. A couple of small, smallish, Uh, SageMaker updates. It supports a couple new instance types for SageMaker Studio Notebooks. The model registry supports inference pipelines and SageMaker Studio has inference endpoint testing and Autopilot has additional metrics for classification problems. Again, these all seem like very minor things to me.
2: Perhaps if you were using SageMaker every day, you'd feel differently about it, but yeah.
0: It's very possible, but again... I think we're now at the time of the year where any big SageMaker thing is going to be saved up for reInvent. Because that always gets a big splash.
2: Yeah, I think you're right.
0: And the other things are a couple of small things for comprehend. Again, um, extracting c- custom entities from documents in their native format and model management and evaluation enhancements.
1: So uh, yeah, you can produce now PDF Word and plain text straight away into the, the Comprion product instead of having to put them into plain text first. So um, that's uh, probably easier for customers to do a uh, native recognition on that.
0: That's good. Might look a bit better as well.
2: Yeah, the other cool stuff. I mean, Monotron gets a mention. So um, obviously that's exciting. It's IoT The IoT world. So Monitron is the system that that AWS built. It's a hardware, um, essentially a a set of sensors and a a gateway. So the initial Monitron was a Wi-Fi connected gateway. So they've introduced an Ethernet connected gateway for Monitron. Um, and it looks adorable. So, if you want to go and have a look on Amazon at it, it's only got three and a half stars out of five. So, I don't know, uh, Amazon uh, browsers are not um, are not enjoying it for whatever reason. But it's a it's um it looks awesome and uh, adorable. So, what's not to like about it?
0: Does it look as nice and adorable as the little robot?
2: The new robot, yes. No, no, probably not. No, no. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make those sorts of claims. Yeah. It does have a big smiley Amazon, you know, Amazon smile on the front. So, you know, anyway, um, that's the other cool stuff that I thought was interesting. That, yeah. What about the, uh, have you listed the robot? Because it's not an Amazon product, is it? It's not a native US thing.
0: No, I didn't put it in here.
2: No. Yeah. What else is cool?
0: The ground station licensing accelerator. Mostly because anything to do with ground station is cool. Because that is literally. <laughs> Satellites. Sp- sp- space stuff. <laughs> yeah yeah in all honesty, it's not that great i think it makes it easier to get uh licensing to get your
2: to spectrum license
0: yeah to get your stuff up in the uh in space and
2: right yeah yeah should we be encouraging people to put more things in space isn't there enough up there already (laughs) like like rich amazon (laughs) You you won't stay an ambassador for long if you start knocking the boss. he's not the boss anymore. No, that's Uh, true. That's true. Yeah. I suspect he might still have a say. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, Yes, there's enough enough rubbish in space, I think is what we're saying already.
1: Um, Uh, I think another cool product that I found uh, is Amazon Connect Voice ID is now generally available. Oh, Um, nice. Is to um, be able to recognize your voice and make your, your voice, your stamp and your security mm. instead of asking you when you join your credit card or something, your. You know, date of birth and, and all the type of personal mm-hmm, information you mm-hmm. can recognize your voice uh, stamp and uh, and then connect you to the correct operator mm-hmm. so that's, I found that a great service from, from AWS to run that on AWS Connect yeah it's interesting it? I wonder how uniquely identifying
2: a voice ID is like because yeah. I mean some people who can do impressions right they sound um, they sound amazing like you just think or, or, or record it
1: and rearrange the words and then make you say something else <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's well. There's that too. But yeah, it's um. It it just doesn't feel like a fingerprint. Everyone can understand a retina scan. I can understand voice ID. I kind of think people can do amazing things that that Mm, change the tone of their voice. And I know, you know, if you listen, if you put it through a you know spectrum analyzer and you know do a do sort of third octave analysis on it and all that kind of stuff, maybe. There's a lot of things that are being taken into account, but it would be interesting to know a bit more about it.
0: Yeah, but it's not for security or anything. No, no, it's more, like it's an- more
2: for personalisation, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I, quite I quite ring cool. up and they go, oh, that's probably Guy. Um, you know, <laughs> we're not going to give him any money because he called up and we think it's probably Guy, but, would, you know, take a punt, it's probably him. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. The other connecting um hmm. and i have to applaud the connect team generally for their naming because i mm-hmm. thought contact lens was a great name yeah mm-hmm. and now they've mm-hmm. got amazon connect wisdom yeah which i also think is just a really nice name
2: yeah yeah now that's that's been a they announced that a while back i think that's the um that's the kind of ml stuff in the background isn't it um it's
1: looking uh, it's building connectors for salesforce sales yeah. now and try to gather this faq from from these sources to uh, give better response to the customer on, online yeah so it's good yeah
2: yeah yeah no i agree um connect itself is a, is a better name than a lot of product names and and yeah they yeah. they haven't really put a foot wrong so far if they have voice id
1: connect chat contact lens wisdom yep yep yeah, yeah. 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 And they're really taking the PIBX, you know, old style to the next level. So I'm really excited about
0: that. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, So yeah, a lot of announcements. So that's that six six announcements about Connect this this month. So
0: do you want to finish us up with any of this IoT stuff, Guy? Or
2: you know, I haven't actually looked at. <laughs> I haven't looked at any of them. Um, so Device Defender is a security, um, you know, pl- platform, I guess, for checking on known states and, and looking for a sort of anomalies of, of, of you know, behaviour from an IoT device. So there's a couple of updates around that. And, yeah, the other things around device management with around fl- fleet monitoring, which is, I guess, um Yeah, maybe useful if you're managing a fleet of iot devices in iot device management so if you are check it out it's um enhancements it's good (laughs) right
0: with that we've once again reached the end of the episode i hope you all enjoyed listening to us discuss the news as always i want to first thank the user group sponsors for their support that's our gold sponsor cmd and our silver sponsors, CFO and Fursant. Of course, I also want to thank my co-hosts for spending this time with me, Guy Morton.
1: Thank you. Pleased to be here.
0: And Jean-Manuel Becker.
1: Thank you, Arjen. Always a pleasure. Always a lot of fun with you guys discussing the news.
0: And lastly, I want to call out that you can find the user group itself at melp.awsug.org.au or as at awsmelp on Twitter. If you go to our website, you can also join our Slack, where plenty of AWS-focused discussions take place. And, of course, join the meetups. They're always streamed live. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next month. Goodbye.
1: Bye. Bye Bye-bye.